Well, welcome everybody again. We had a great night last night. We truly did. Um, saw a lot of folks that uh, hadn't seen in a while actually last night. And some of our couples that are getting married this summer showed up and we got to show um, They got to see what it was like at night for their wedding coming up in the, in the summer. And so just a great eve. I talked to some people and already this is just our third year and already people are saying that they're making it their yearly tradition. So that's pretty cool to hear. And they were excited to see that things are getting bigger and, and better and more things are going on. So that was super exciting. Um, one of the people that let me know that it's their uh, yearly tradition is uh, some friends of mine uh, by the name of Nevels. And um, her name is Shana. She's got two boys. And we know her parents, actually. Her parents were the first ones to come here. They, they listened to this ministry up north. And, and so they came and, and uh, then when they were down, brought their son and daughter-in-law and, and they had actually come for, for a while. And so I ended up being pretty good friends with their son, Mark Neville. And uh, he was a police officer and in the ERT. He was always the guys that uh, if there was big trouble, he'd be called in in his black uniform. And so anyways, he was one of these tough, tough guys. And uh, one day I got a phone call that was a big surprise that uh, he had gone to see his parents up north, and on the way back, just passing Clinton to the south, uh, a guy had, was in a budget rented truck and had had a heart attack and swerved and hit them. And so to get the news from his parents that Mark had passed away was um, unbelievable. He was one of these guys you never thought... He, he would die, and if he did, it would, certainly wouldn't be in a car accident, it, you know. It would be in a seriously high, intense situation and, and whatnot. And so he was in the car with his wife and two sons, and it was just a crazy scenario. She woke up to a guy yelling at her to get out of the truck because it was on fire, and it was just a terrible, terrible situation. And so this had happened um, two and a half years ago, and... Last year when they were here at Christmas, um, and I reminded her of it this time at Christmas, I said, you know what, you so deeply affected me last Christmas when we chatted, as you told me the story, because I hadn't really gone through the story with her, you don't like to do that early on, and, and, but a year had passed last year, and, and she was able to tell me the story, and she said at the end of it, I said, how are your boys? And Because uh, they were a bit banged up, but I, I didn't mean physically, I meant mentally, how are they? And uh, she said, you know what? She said, this is horrible. She says, I miss him so much. Every time we talk about it, I miss him. The boys are always asking for their dad. And she said, you know what, Trent? She says, I can sit my boys down. And when they look at me, she says, with truth, I can tell them that he is still alive. And one day we will see him again. And she made this statement and she said, Trent, I don't know what I would do do if I didn't know that. And it was one of those game changers for me that, you know, we've been talking about it the last few weeks that life's hard and, and we live in a fallen world. And, and you know what? It's our job to figure out through Christ how to navigate and overcome this world. He said, be of good cheer. We've overcome the world, but we don't all, you know, we, all, we always end up in situations that we feel like we haven't overcome, but God and so I look at this accident and I think, oh my goodness, like that doesn't really seem like overcoming, but all of a sudden, God always has the last move. And when she said this to me, it was like, oh my goodness, what a game changer. It was like, she said, what would I do if I didn't know that? I'd be lost. I would be completely 
lost without him. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, we could just stop there and just talk on gossip right there, right? It looked like in his eyes had cheated on him and gotten pregnant. And he was a just man, according to the scripture, and didn't want to make her a public example. So he was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What would we do if we didn't realize God with us? I remember a friend of mine years back that used to hang around a little bit, and he was in a real, real bad mood with God one evening. And he was laying in his bed, and he was complaining to God about all the things that were going on in his life and how terrible it was. And he said to God, what if you left me? And again, this is just his experience. I'm not saying it's something we need to hang our hands on scripturally. But when he said, what if you left me? He said, all of a sudden, he dropped into a dark abyss. And he said he was falling. And he said he felt the scariest thing he's ever felt in his life. He felt so hopeless, so afraid, so scared. And all of a sudden, he was back in his bed. And the Lord spoke to him and said, that is not even what it would be like if I left you. God with us. Thank God. So in the scripture, we see Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so the origin of this scripture actually comes from the book of Isaiah. And there was a king at the time by the name of Ahaz. And the Syrians were coming in and starting to occupy the land. And it was a very fearful time for King Ahaz. And so God actually came to him and said, listen, submit to God, or you're going to be overrun by your enemies. And so in this process, Ahaz decided that he was not going to submit to God and was overrun by his enemies. And then God makes this statement that says this, Isaiah 7, 13 to 15. And we just read it in the New Testament. Then he said, hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. So Ahaz refuses and the enemies get overtaken and God says, you foolish bunch of people. But he said, here's good news. A time is going to come and he says, a different type of leader is going to hit this earth and it's going to be, he is going to be sent by me and his name shall be called Emmanuel and he will know the difference between right and wrong and he will choose good and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us, spoke of a different future to come. And I love this scripture because it shows that God initiated 
Christ coming. And I talk about this a lot because you need to understand this to understand grace. God is the one that initiates salvation. Here we see years before God prophesying what would take place. A matter of fact, you even go further back and God even, the scripture even says that God slain the lamb before the foundation of the world, that this plan was in motion even before the world began because God sees the beginning from the end and creates that future for us. And so he prophesies this to show us that it's God's initiation. It's God's the one who initiates salvation. And we love that because we know God ordained it and God fulfilled it, which means we had nothing to do with it. We are saved because God is good. We are not saved because we are good. We are not saved because we do such great things. It's very simple. We belong to him and we are saved and we have a future with him for one reason. God is good. God is good. He's just plain old good to his people. And so God fulfilled this, that he would come and he would be with us, be with his people. And so what does it mean, God with us? What does it mean to be with his people? Because I've often, you know, tossed this around because if God is omnipresent all the time, how could he like not be with us at any time? You know, a matter of fact, the scripture even says this. Psalm 139, 7 to 10 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send in the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24 says it this way. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, says the Lord. So how could he be with us, but when he's always with us anyways, he's always omnipresent. Well, when we see the fall of man, we read in the scripture that what takes place is that there is a relational separation from man and God. There is a relational separation from man and God that God can no longer dwell with man in the same way because sin has now hit the earth at the fall of man and I was going to say severed. I wouldn't say severed. Put a wedge, a momentary wedge in between the relationship between God and man. But so much so that when you see the scriptures and God dealing with his people, as it gets progressively worse, we see from the last book in the Old Testament of Malachi until God speaks again at the birth of Christ, Almost 400 years have passed before anybody heard the voice of God. And so all this time where man is relationally being separated from God, so much so, like I said, that 400 years, they don't even hear the voice of God until the angel shows up to Zechariah, prophesies the birth of John the Baptist, and then on to Mary to prophesy the birth of Jesus. And so... Over those 400 years, God comes back on the scene and basically says, I'm sending Jesus. Now is the time for this prophecy of God being with us. And so God sends Jesus and on the earth comes a man who is fully man, but fully God, showing how God wants to relate to mankind. 
And that's what we see in the ministry of Christ, how God wants to relate to mankind. As a matter of fact, we've been over the last few weeks. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've known me, you've known the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. So everything we see in the ministry of Christ is God's perfect will on the earth. And so we see how God wants to be in relationship with mankind and who he is in this regard. But even greater than Jesus' example of how God wants to be with mankind, even greater, Jesus comes to pave the way for us to be in complete communion with the Father. So initially we see Jesus on the earth saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's on the earth walking a sinless life, having relationship with mankind, showing mankind who God is and how good God is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, remember? But, the, but God comes to bring life and life abundantly. So God, through Jesus, is showing how he wants his relationship with mankind. But even greater than that, he wants to take it one step further, and he wants mankind to be able to relate to him without a mediator, a mediator to come and pay the price so that you and I can relate to the Father God unconditionally. That's awesome. So when he said God with us, you see, religion says we need to work our way up to the heavens. But relationship through God says, no, I'm going to come down and get you. Religion says, I'm going to work real hard so I can obtain a status that God will be happy with me. And relationship says, you never will be. I need to go rescue you. And so he comes down and he says, this is who I want to be with you. And better than that, I'm going to send my son to the cross and I'm going to take all the sins of the world and I'm going to fix this relationship thing. I'm going to put the curse on him. All the wrath is going to be on him. He's going to go to the grave, rise again. All who believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the greatest part about it is that we get to have one-on-one with the father. So cool. So God with us, Jesus coming, dying for our sins, paying the price so we could be in the Father's presence. And even greater than being in his presence, God declares through the scripture that he will come and live in us. You know, I've said this so many times, but I get excited every time I say it. In the Old Testament, there was this temple, and in the innermost room was the Holy of Holies. And so once a year, one priest got to go in doing the right rituals, got to go inside and give an atonement for the children of Israel and basically got to walk in too near the presence of God to make this atonement. And so he would have to do everything right. A matter of fact, tradition would tell us that they would tie a rope onto his foot. So if he didn't do things right and he went into the presence of God and was struck dead, nobody else had to go in to be struck dead as well. They would pull him back out. And so when Jesus went to the cross... And said it is finished. There was a great earthquake. And there was darkness that covered the earth. And the Bible tells us that that curtain that was between the the inner and the holy of holies, it was a thick curtain made out of material. It, It is like incredibly strong. And it would hang in front of the holy of holies. Heavy, thick, made out of material, layers of material. And when there was an earthquake, the Bible says that that thing was ripped in two. And I love that scripture because it says to me, no man could do it. It would take like the machinery that we have now to even rip such a thing like that would be unbelievable to be able to rip that. It was so thick. I don't know if you've ever layered up a bunch of, you know how strong that gets, but it just got ripped. 
So what it said was that, guess who ripped the curtain? God ripped the curtain, right? And so religion says, yes, I finally get to go in. But that's religion. Relationship says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm coming out. Right? Right? That's the difference. We were, religion says, I can now get to God. God says, you never could get to me. I can now get to you. Isn't that awesome? So God with us is all motivated by God himself. God with us is all motivated by him, the creator himself, literally dying to get to us. Right? So the night before, he goes to the cross. John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me and keep my commands, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. So Jesus is in this time period talking to the disciples about that moment. All right? He said, if this is going on right now, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Keep that up for a second. That he may abide with you forever. So here we see something taking place that is really cool. It's something that um, you and I never experienced. It's, it's such a cool transition. It's like, it's like he's telling the disciples, I'm going to go, you do this, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost is going to come in a different way. In, and in such a different way. Like before he was omnipresent, but now when the Spirit of God comes, anybody who believes on him, God now, there is no sin barrier. There is the holy of all, it's ripped. He's going to come in a new way that's actually going to come. And guess what? It's going to abide. Now that word abide or abode simply means live. God will take up residence with you forever. Isn't that awesome? Take up residence with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This relationship is now taken a corner in the scripture to where omnipresence is all of a sudden God abiding on the inside of us. Abiding, living, living. Feels like God left you too late. He can't. He can't. Impossible. Why? Because he declared it. That he will abide, that he will live with you forever. Forever. Ever. There's no more change of address. Ever. For eternity. We are belong to him. That is forever. 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 You're going to have some bad days, but he didn't leave He's not leaving. You're going to feel some days like maybe you don't feel his presence and you, you feel like he's not really in your life. Too late. He lives. He made his home. He abides in you. He declared you his temple. That is so awesome. And we no longer need a mediator. Matter of fact, Jesus was trying to tell his disciples this before he went to the cross. And he would say, listen, I'm about to go. I'm about to die. I'm about to be raised again. And they're all confused. And he's trying to explain this to them. But he says, listen, when that day comes, you will no longer ask the Father in my name. No longer. You just go to the Father in my name. So we don't need to ask anybody to talk to God. That is so cool. 
So cool. Sometimes we feel like we got to find somebody who knows God better to talk to God. It doesn't work that way. You and God, he lives within you. And like, he's just right here. Like our head says, where are you? He's right here. Like that's not very far. Dwelling in our hearts, in our spirit, man. Someone who knows everything about everything is like 18 inches from your noggin. That's cool. That is awesome. God with us. And so, we're going to take communion in a moment. Todd, come up, please. And Kelly, you can come up on piano. Before he went to the cross, he was having dinner with his disciples, telling them all this, what was going to take place. And it's very interesting that he says he desired to have this meal with them. And when you look that word up in the original language, in the Greek language, it's a very strong word. It's like he yearned to have this meal with them. And this meal was symbolic of about what was about to take place. He was about to shed his blood and his body was about to be broken and bruised and put in the grave over this situation. And the Bible says that he yearned to have it. And I look at that and I think, what faithfulness, right? When you know this is going to be your last meal and you're about to be arrested and you're about to go through the most horrific situation that you are like in the garden, sweating blood, saying, Father, if there's another way. And it wasn't about the beating and it wasn't about the nails that were going to go into his hand. That was nothing. Guys were, that was happening to guys all the time. Gruesome, but for the Lord, nothing. What was about to happen was nails go into his hand and then the sin and the wrath of everything about to come upon him. And he had to pay this punishment. That's why he was sweating blood. Because there was other people hanging on the cross and they, they could not endure what he could endure. The wrath and the curse and the sin of all mankind that was about to come upon him was what he was wrestling with in the garden because it was, had never been done. And there is nothing worse. Nothing. It wasn't the sin of one man. It was the sin of all of us. Past, present, and future. Every sin was going on him. And he was eager. He was yearning to do it. Yearning to do it. And the reason was he knew when that was finished, the Holy Spirit would come. He was the door that was going to allow the Father's presence to come and live in all of humanity. And so they were worried about him leaving. And he said to them, a greater thing is about to take place. A greater thing. Basically what he was saying was, you guys could hang out with me and talk to me, and yeah, I know it all. But the Spirit's going to come, and it's going to live in the house and the body, the spirit man of anybody who believes that I'm the door, that I'm the way, that I'm the Lord. And so Christmas is coming, and we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Let's not forget, he's with us. He lives on the inside of us. You know, and I sometimes we sing some songs. It's like, Lord, I need your presence and stuff. And It's that whole two different things. It's like that omnipresent thing versus the God within us. And you know what? It, we, we, we don't always sing perfectly theological. But what we are saying is, I want to engage with that spirit that's in me. I want to be intimate with that spirit. That is in me. You live in me. Let's have relationship. 
let's have communion. So today we're going to take communion. And uh, if you've got it there, does everybody have their communion? We're going to take communion. And a lot of times you'll be in some places and they'll tell you to take stock of yourself and make sure you're worthy to take communion. And so people will think, well, did I have a good week? If I didn't, I need to confess all my sins or I'm not going to be right with God. And that's not what he was saying in the book of Corinthians at all. He was saying, do this in remembrance of me. What he was saying is that, are you sure you understand that I took all your sins? Are you sure you understand that you have nothing to do with this? That the only reason you're saved is because God is good? And the only power you'll ever have to overcome that sin is because you understand, Emmanuel, that God is truly with us, inside of us, giving us the power to overcome? The book of Corinthians says, in the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I just want to pause for a second. The reason I said that is if you're here today and you've ever felt unworthy taking communion, there's only one thing that makes you worthy. Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you paid the price. That's what makes you worthy. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to take this opportunity because God's wooing you here this morning, letting you know that he's good. There's nothing you can do to get to him. He came to you and all you have to do is accept the gift and declare Jesus as Lord of your life. And the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he'll remove your sin. And he goes even further than that and says, your sin and your iniquity, I'll remember no more. You have a new relationship with me now. <laughs> Not just omnipresent, me and you and you and me. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. What he says is, I did it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead. After that, he took the cup, which was wine. And he declared a new covenant that his blood was going to be shed and that there would be a new covenant. A new covenant that the Bible says is based on better promises, which means he never leaves us or forsakes us. A new covenant that says it is no longer the law. You no longer have to work your way in, but it is now a gift of eternal life. That all who believe on him will not perish. Not all who believe on him and go to church every Sunday. Not all who believe on him and pay money to ministry or be kind to everybody they meet. It's what we should do. Be kind and love one another. But the new covenant says, all who believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This new covenant in my blood, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead. He's so good. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, that you live in us. We thank you, God, we belong to you. We thank you, God, that you said that you're not ashamed to be called our God and we your people. I thank you, God, that you said we are no longer servants but sons and heirs to you. I thank you, God, that you said we boldly now come to the throne room of grace to obtain mercy in time of need. I thank you, God, that you said you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us, God. And I thank you, God, that you said that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not principalities, powers, might, dominions. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. Amen.